everybody. Welcome back to Eric's Mediocre Adventures. Uh, we are entering our second episode of the Pirates of the Caribbean review slash discussion thing. I guess that's what it is. I'm not really super sure but um, what this would be classified as. But yeah, we are going to be discussing Dead Man's Chest, the second film of the original Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy, and then of the second film of the five total. This movie came out in 2006. And in 2006, where was I? Hmm. Where was I in 2006? Uh, we would have been back in Canada. I would have been living in New Brunswick. And I believe I saw this movie in theaters with my mother and father and brother. If I'm remembering correctly. But yeah, so this one is probably my least favorite of the trilogy. Uh, I say that, though, without having watched At World's End again recently. So we'll see if that changes, and I'll mention that in the, uh, in the third one there of this. It's directed by Gore Verbinski again, and this one made over a billion dollars. I think it's $1.066 billion was its box office gross. So yeah, let's get to it. So this movie, according to the Rotten Tomatoes, which, like I said all the time, I'm not a fan of, but it seems the easiest thing to go to to talk about the ratings of the movie. Uh, the film has an approval rating of 53%, with an average rating of 5.9 out of 10. So it's not nearly rated as highly as the last film, at least on Rotten Tomatoes. Alrighty, so uh, my initial thoughts before watching the movie is, is, as I said, it was that it was I preferred one and three. I, I think they're both considerably better. I'm interested to see if that changes once I've watched three again. And uh, I wanted to, when I when I went into watching the second one, I wanted to go in with kind of like an open mind and see if I would like it more. So we'll discuss that. Uh, I'm going to be doing this one in a chronological kind of order again, as I did with the first Pirates of the Caribbean film. So we start at the rainy wedding of Will and Elizabeth, and they're getting arrested uh, by a new character, Cutler Beckett. And uh, my first thought seeing this was, who told Beckett and, and all these people that Will and Elizabeth helped Jack escape? Like, who the rat? Who's going to get stitches? Because, you know, snitches get stitches and stuff. Uh, and Cutler Beckett is a bit of a twat, isn't he? Like, he's got good comedic timing. That's pretty much his only positive. Like, when he pulls out the warrants, it's very good comedic timing there, which I liked. That's pretty much all I had to say about the, the opening scene, really. Other, like, who snitched? That's the main, the main thought there. Then we move on to Gibbs uh, singing a shanty and see some people throwing caskets into the water. To me, that seems like a, such a waste of wood. Like, if, if you aren't going to bury the bodies, just chuck the bodies in the water. Don't bother with the caskets, you melons. You're just wasting wood. 
Uh, anywho, Jack pops out of a casket after shooting a poor bird because he went and got a drawing of a key. It's a very funny scene, though, with Jack being Jack. But also, Jack needs to like start proactively putting down mutinous thoughts, I think. Or just stop having crews in general. Because them not liking his plans is now seeming like a trend. They just... People just seem to think he's a bad captain when they're in his crew. Also, why is the monkey still undead? Like, I had a lot of problems with him being undead in the first place, as I talked about in the first movie. And they seem to double down on it in this movie, and it's just baffling. Like, how, how is he still cursed? The curse was lifted. Was he never cursed initially? Was he just always an undead monkey even before the curse? I don't know. Anyway, some other stuff happens. Beckett bribes Will into going to get Jack so that he can get the compass that doesn't point north in exchange for his and Elizabeth's freedom. And it comes with a pardon for Jack, yada yada, so that Jack can give up the compass. All that stuff. And Jack kickstarts the main plot of this film. When he's on a search for some rum, he runs into Bootstrap Bill uh, in the belly of the ship or whatever played by Papa Skarsgård, who is there as a messenger from Davy Jones, played by Bill Nighy, I think is how you say his name? I'm not sure. Anyways, Jack made a deal with Squidward for 13 years of being captain of the Black Pearl, and then his debt would come due, so he sold his soul, essentially, for 13 years uh, with the Pearl. Uh, this is a super interesting plot line, I think, because it's very akin, as I said, to making a deal with the devil. Like, you get the ten years and the devil comes for your soul. Supernatural fans stand up. Uh, except instead of the devil and hellhounds, you get an even bigger squid and Squidward coming after you. Uh, so we come to learn later that Jack was hired by Beckett to deliver goods on a ship called the Wicked Wench. And then one of the deliveries uh, was supposed to be slaves. Jack didn't agree with this, and he released the slaves. And uh, a deleted film, or deleted film, sorry, a deleted scene of the third film touches on this, where Beckett talks about Jack taking his cargo from him, and Jack stating that people aren't cargo. It's a very great scene. I do not know why they removed it. Anyways, uh, Beckett decided to brand Jack as a pirate because of this, and that's the P brand we see in the first movie. And uh, he burns and destroys the Wicked Wench. Jack manages to escape from Beckett, and he tries to swim to get to the wench. He can't, and he's dying, like he's drowning in the water, so he summons Davy Jones and uh, makes this deal. So his life and a hundred years of servitude on the Dutchman, and he gets to live, and the Pearl, uh, the Wicked Wench, is raised from the sea, I guess, and it becomes the Black Pearl and all that. Most of this isn't in the movie. Like, this is all stuff that I learned from, like, other sources. But you get the gist of all this stuff from the movies. And if you do want to read it, there are some novels out there that you can go read. And you can also just read the, the wikis and stuff. Uh, I've never read the models, the models, novels, personally, but I would like to. Uh, at least one of them sounds quite good. So after all the plot is set up by this point, we move on to the search for Jack. So Will goes looking for Jack, uh, starting in 
does he start in Tortuga? Now I can't even remember. But he ends up finding him on an island of cannibals where Jack has somehow become their god and they intend to eat him. Jack, him being Jack, but like also Will, but mostly Jack. Uh, the mystery of Jack also grows further here. Like he somehow knows their language. And he makes a callback to the fun eunuch joke from the first movie, which, you know, is nice. And he has a fabulous headdress here and a nice feathery selfie stick, which I'm a big fan of. He looks great. And then we go back to Kira Knightley in prison, who is somehow still looking incredibly stunning, even after several days in prison, which is just wild. And uh, her father comes to free her from prison, and we are told the thing that everyone like Larry knew, that Beckett was never going to let them go if Will got the compass. A uh, bit of a change from the last film, I think, because our bad guy in this one is straight up a bad guy. That Beckett, not Davy Jones. Davy Jones is a lot more complicated. I think. But Elizabeth uh, straight up threatens Beckett's life when she sneaks into his office in exchange for papers to pardon Will. And I'm assuming herself, but that wasn't super clear to me in the scene. He, She really only got the ones for Will, as far as I could tell. Yeah. Anyways, we get our first of uh, callbacks here from the first film like the first like super overt one as we get the two dudes from the last one and then the prison dog from the last one yay uh i don't know their names i could look up their names but i don't really want to because i think it is proving a point about these guys um that like why are they there no one even knows who they are really i think one of them is named rigetti or something like that rigetti seems right for some reason I think I heard it somewhere. Anyway, uh, Jack is definitely much more wacky in this movie. Like, in the first movie, he's weird, but still wickedly intelligent a lot of the times. In this one, he is much weirder and kooky, and things just seem to happen to go his way more often than it being due to his intelligent plans. Like, it isn't so bad in this one because it's still funny. Like, he still does mad but brilliant stuff. It just happens to be a touch more zany. It gets much worse, though, in, in the following movies, for sure. And this is kind of where it, where it all started. Uh, this part of the movie, when they're with the cannibals is also where we get our first instance of a lot of spinning so like just things spinning because we get the crew and will in bone cages and they spin down a, a hill and they fall into a hole and stuff and it's just a lot of a lot of spinning in this movie anyway i say anyway a lot well okay uh so they escape cannibal island all of them jack does so on like a stick and the poor dog is put in harm's way. Like, I guess the dog is now their god, but then that means they're also going to eat the dog if they catch him. I, get, I don't know. And Rigetti and the other guy just join Jack's crew. Like, hurrah. Great. Uh, I didn't really like this part of the movie. Like, the pit stop was fun and there was some enjoyable stuff, but it ultimately served no purpose to the movie other than boosting the runtime. Like, it's a bit of a departure from the last film where most scenes served a purpose to the plot. This one was just, we're going to this place to do something, 
but the movie is completely unchanged whether you see this part or not other than this is where will finds jack that's the only thing that happens and i don't really care for it but yeah uh jack is back to form here he's being a bit of a self-serving jerkwad with a heart of sometimes gold as he is beginning to prepare to sell will down the river uh he gets will to want to find the key to the chest so the key on the drawing that he stole that key uh and he does this so that when will uses the compass that points to what you want it will point to the key because it's what he wants and for some reason the compass isn't working for jack it's pointing in multiple different directions i don't remember if we find out why but yeah so the crew's back together and we go to see tia dalma another new character and there jack gets jar dirt and we get the hilarious scene with will the jar of dirt help if you don't want it give it back no very funny scene like it a lot sorry for the bad impressions so she tells us the story of davy jones his lost love and his heart in the chest and that's what the key opens is the chest davy jones hearts in it spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movies ignore this for about the next 30 seconds go for 30 seconds or go watch the movie and then come back but uh she isn't just a witch she is also the lost love of daily jones among other things and we get a wicked bit of foreshadowing that i never actually noticed until i watched this movie again uh so tia dalma is telling the story and gibbs interrupts saying that it was the sea davy jones fell in love with not a woman and she says that both versions of these stories are true and we learn in movie three that she is Calypso, trapped in human form. And Calypso in this universe is a sea goddess. So Davy Jones fell in love with a woman, and he also fell in love with the sea, technically. Which I think is really cool. And then, yeah, like I said, I only noticed that on this watch through. But nitpick thing. Uh, Calypso in mythology, like the Greek mythology where she comes from, isn't a goddess at all. She's rather a nymph. And uh, she's on this island, trapped there, because she was the daughter of Atlas. And it's like her punishment that she has to stay on this island. And uh, she's in the Odyssey. Odysseus gets washed up on our island, and they, like, do the dirty and stuff. But yeah, we'll let that go. I mean, it's a movie about pirates and squid people. Like, I'll accept that they get mythology not super accurate. We also learn in this scene with Teodama that she gives Jack the compass. Something which is either later retconned or they just forgot about it when they made Dead Men Tell No Tales. Because uh, in that movie, we see the compass being given to Jack by the pirates that he like saves from Captain Salazar or whatever. And that's that's one of my many problems with that movie. <laughs> like, just going a bit of a rant. Will in Dead Men Tell No Tales is starting to get fishy. Like, he's starting to get the weird fishy look like all of Davy Jones's crew in this movie. Even though what we learn from these two movies, this one and the next, is that the curse that's making them fishy is only because happening because Davy Jones isn't doing his job of ferrying the dead. If he was ferrying the, the dead to the locker and stuff that wouldn't have happened to him he would have stayed all normal and we know 
likely that Will is doing his job. Like, he's doing the job he's supposed to be doing. So, the curse shouldn't be doing anything to him. Like, he should be normal. Anywho, it's not like it really matters. That movie sucks. Let's not talk about it. Moving on. <laughs> Our crew heads out from uh, Tia Dalma's place, and they find a crashed ship. And on that crashed ship, Jack tells Will that, that Davy Jones can be found there, so he sends Will over there because Will thinks he's going to get the key. But Jack is actually sending him to try and use Will to clear his debt to Davy Jones. Obviously, it don't work. Davy Jones shows up, gets all mad, pops over to see Jack in like a magic teleportation thing, and he offers Jack a new deal. A uh, hundred souls in the next three days and Jack is to be free I don't really agree with this storyline here because I think it creates a bit of inconsistency with Jack's backstory which may actually be why they deleted the scene in movie 3 about uh, Jack saying that people aren't cargo like that, you, that the slavery slavery's bad like from Jack's backstory if you look it, look it up Jack is against slavery, yet he is willing to send a hundred people to essentially be slaves in exchange for his own life in this movie. Maybe the difference was that it was in this one, it's his own death looming, like he's the one at, at stake, and his fear about the locker or servitude made him more selfish and self-serving, or maybe the writers were careless, who knows? Uh, but Davy Jones even actually address, addresses this. He's like, are you, are, you, are you good with this? And Jack is like, yeah, I'm good with this. Uh, would he have fully gone through with it? Like, if he managed to get the 100 souls? We don't really know. But the movie seems to kind of suggest that, that he would. So anyway, we move on uh, from here. And I just want to note first, uh, the CGI for Davy Jones still looks phenomenal in this movie. 14 years down the line. It's up there with Andy Serkis' CGI as Caesar and like Dawn and War of the Planet of the Apes and Thanos in the last two Avengers movies. Even though this movie preceded them by 10 to 15 years, like each. So it's pretty nuts. It's very well done. It's less good for Davy Jones' crew. They look very fake. But Davy Jones himself looks incredible, which I guess is the point. But yeah, Davy Jones uh, keeps Will. Even though Jax is like, give me back Will, uh, Davy Jones is like, nah, he's one. I need 90 more, 99 more souls, go get. So Jack goes off to Tortuga to collect the 99 more souls. And uh, we get to see Tortuga again, which seems like a wild place. Like it reminds me of like Daytona during spring break wild. Like it's like, whew. Anyways, here in uh, Tortuga, uh, Norrington, James Norrington, I think is James's first name, right? Yeah. Uh, he makes his reappearance in this part of the movie, and he's back with his stupid wig. Stupid wigs, I hate. It's in bad condition, though, and could do with being thrown out. And he looks so much better with his normal hair. Like, just embrace it, man. The white wig's stupid. Knock it off. Norrington starts a bar fight. Elizabeth, who is also there... Uh, she has a whole plot line about sneaking onto a ship as a boy and stuff to get there. 
it, it, it's kind of pointless uh anyway she joins the bar fight like a badass jack gets a new hat everyone's happy and then weird creepy murder guy uh who's like beckett's right hand man or something is apparently following elizabeth though and that ain't hype like first off how did he know that she was going there and how, how did he even follow her? Like, she snuck onto a boat and pretended to be a man. How did he get there? I don't know. So we're back at sea with uh, the Flying Dutchman and Davy Jones. And he's ripping a sick solo on an organ. And Will meets his dad for the first time in a long time. Not a great reunion, as it ends in Will getting uh, hella whipped. And this is where we see the CGI on, like, the full fishy henchman is a lot less good. So, I, I, I like to think that Davy Jones is more of a conflicted villain, but so far up to this point in the movie, he's kind of just a dick. Like, he was entitled to go after Jack. A deal is a deal, and, like, Jack has to abide by that. But everything else he does to this point is just kind of unnecessary cruelty. Like, he's really cruel to his crew. He's cruel to, cruel to Will. Like, he's cruel to random sailors. Like, it's, it's not a good look, Davey. Like, smart up, maybe more people will want to join your crew. But now we get some exposition. Uh, we learn that the chest that has the heart like, it, the chest needs a heart so that the Dutchman can have a captain. So whoever's heart's in the box is the captain, which is something we learn later. So, spoiler alerts. Uh, all we know for this movie is that Joan wants it, Jones wants it kept safe because if you have the heart, you can control him. And because if you control him, you control the Dutchman and you control the Kraken. So... Now the reason for the race for the compass and the race for the heart is revealed. Ta-da! That's what the movie's about. Everyone wants the heart so that they can control Davy Jones. Jack wants the heart to control Davy Jones so that he doesn't die. Beckett wants the heart to control Davy Jones to control the pirates and the seas and stuff. Will wants the heart... Well, no, Will wants the compass to give to fucking Beckett for the purpose of the, the freedom and stuff everyone wants it that's that's all you need to really know everyone wants it and the movie tells us that at this point so papa swan uh gets arrested for releasing elizabeth and he gets blackmailed by cutler beckett to like sign some papers or something i don't really know what what that was about but we see the crew of the dutchman playing an incredibly confusing dice game that I still don't get really so I think they they all roll the dice and put them in the cups and then put the cups down and then say how many of like a certain number they think there are so like if they all have four dice so there's 12 dice if there's three of them they say like oh I think there's six fives and then someone has to challenge that and say there's seven fives or that you're a liar or something. I, I don't really know. But they uh, wager years of servitude or whatever else they have, but mainly servitude though, so if you lose, you're, you stay 
longer. If you win, I guess you might get years off. I don't really know. Uh, Will sees them playing this. He's like, oh, can anyone play this? He's like, yeah, the whole crew can be challenged. So Will challenges Davy Jones. And he bets an eternity of servitude for the key. Even though technically, in the movie, he asked for the drawing of the key. Which he already had. He really should have been clearer, because if Davy Jones was a jerk, Will could have won. And he could have been like, oh, well, you already have the drawing, idiot. Anyway, uh, Bootstrap Bill steps in as a nice papa uh, to ensure that even if Will doesn't win, that he doesn't lose. I'm guessing Davy is planning to cheat because he seems really confident and like he seems to know stuff about what's going on in the ship. But that's okay because we got Papa Bootstrap. So Will's plan was stupid. Like just straight up, let me say that. It was a dumb plan. We found out he was just trying to find out where the key was. And he, we learned that Davy Jones carries it in his like chest. Like, like on his chest on a necklace. Uh... But if Will found out where the key was and he still lost, he would still be tied to the Dutchman forever, which would be dumb. Get better plans, Will. Come on, man. Like, the plan he has where he goes to steal the key? Great plan. Will gets the key. And he pieces out of there. Papa gives him a knife. And, uh... Yeah, I get that he needed to know where it is, and his first, his second plan couldn't have worked without his first plan, but his first plan was still dumb. And Davy Jones, man, he needs to get a bed. It is, he sleeps at his piano, and it's not good for your posture to sleep sitting up at your piano. That'll hurt your back. That's not fun. We also, uh, once Jack escapes, we go back to Tortuga with not Jack, sorry, once Will escapes, we go back to Tortuga with Jack and Elizabeth and all them, and we get a penis innuendo about Will's sword. I never noticed that before until this watching. Uh, and Elizabeth seems interested in Jack's sword, according to the compass, which is weird. I don't know why they decided to do the love triangle uh, in this movie. I'm not really a fan of it, nor am I a fan of love triangles in general. Unless it is kind of like naturally occurring, which is rare if it ever does happen. Here it just feels kind of forced. Like, yeah, I mean, I get that she might just be interested in Jack because he represents freedom and he and her getting to be her pirate self. But the love triangle is still kind of meh. And I feel like it's used just to stir up some drama and tension. Like, she could, uh, she could still enjoy freedom and pirate life by hanging out with the pirate crew like it could be achieved the same way you don't need the added love story triangle thing when will comes back he he ends up back on the ship nope he doesn't i'm wrong uh he's on the ship that elizabeth was also on somehow when she got when she snuck on as a boy but he's there the Kraken attacks, and uh, Will gets up to his best legolasing. In the Kraken scene, he jumps around, parkouring on things like a champ. And then he jumps off the ship into the water to escape while the Kraken kills all those poor people. It's kind of sad. But uh, is this Orlando Bloom's real hair in this movie? Because if it isn't, that is an incredible wig. He's in the water, and he's completely wet, and it looks so real. 
I'm assuming it must have been his real hair, but I don't know. It's a question to ask Orlando Bloom if you ever meet him. It was at this point in the movie where I realized I might have been misremembering Davy Jones's character. Um, as I said earlier, I, I thought that he wasn't a, like an all-out villain. I thought he was more sympathetic and complicated. But it must be in the third movie that he becomes a bit more sympathetic. Because in this one, he is just a cruel piece of shit. He's just a not very nice man. That's, I guess, another complaint I'd have about this movie is the movie is missing the moral gray everyone, uh, gray area that everyone has. The first one had that. Like, Barbosa has his gray. It's a little more darker than it is light, but he's still in the gray. Jack's in the gray and all that. The only people who have it in this movie is Jack, who kind of remains more of the gray always, and Elizabeth kind of has it. And... Yeah, just I like that better in the first one where everyone was kind of morally gray or they shifted back and forth. Like they had moments of being okay and all that or they had like reasonable reasons for being a dick. And this one they're just kind of a dick. And despite disliking the love triangle, there is a scene with Jack and Elizabeth where they talk about curiosity and they talk about marriage and stuff and I think that scene is fantastic. Like I think it's really good and I like it a lot. I have a general question that I know is not going to get answered, but I want to put it to the room, as it were. And it concerns Davy Jones and his being on land for one day every 10 years thing. Is it 10 years exactly? Like 365 days times 10, then he can go on land? And if he doesn't use it, is it gone forever? Or does it roll over like for a certain amount of time? Does he have like a couple weeks in which to use the day before it expires can he stack them like can he wait 70 years and then take a week it's important information i think for anyone who may want to be captain of the fine dutchman one day so that they can know if they could take like a week-long vacation in barbados or something you know it's the important stuff we need anywho uh jack elizabeth and norrington end up on the island where the chest is jack finds it and then will shows up and we get another instance of the spinning that i talked about earlier as our boys fight in a wheel while elizabeth chases them until she fights the fish zombies with rigetti and the other one who i have dubbed spinelli the fight is great and exciting and i like it a lot but it lacks stakes, really. As at this point, it's impossible that Jack or Will would die. And it's highly unlikely that Norrington would die. So it's just like a fancy dance that, you know, no one's going to get hurt by. Still fun to watch, regardless, but I had to bring it up. as that's kind of what I want to do here. So the fight ends. Jack thinks he has the heart. He don't. Norrington took it. And he gives it to Beckett so that Beckett can control Jones. And Norrington gets his life back using the pardon that was meant for Jack. That we realize would never have actually been used, but it gets used for Norrington, which is cool. And we also get the excellent scene, uh, which is 
I'm sure everyone knows at this point it was improvised, uh, where Jack has his jar of dirt and he thinks the heart is in the jar of dirt. And he's like, I got a jar of dirt, I got a jar of dirt, and guess what's inside it? And then he trips and drops the dirt. And it's it's fine though, the dirt's okay. Anyway, uh, as I said, heart's not in the dirt. And the Kraken attacks the pearl. Jack displays more of his morally gray area as he dips in the one lifeboat. He just takes it and leaves, leaving everyone there. But he also returns to help at the last moment, so our boy is still a sweetie at heart. You know, he's a good man. Alas, lovely Elizabeth shows her own moral gray area by kissing Jack so that she may distract him and handcuff him into the pearl, leaving him for the cracking and allowing the crew to escape. Will sees the kiss for dramatic purposes, of course, but he doesn't see the handcuffing also for dramatic purposes. Uh, Jack gets free, but instead of fleeing, he decides to take on the Kraken. Either because he accepts death here, or it's to give the crew more time to escape. It's not really clear, but I like to think it's the second one, because it makes him seem much nicer. Anywho, the Kraken eats him, as, as it would do. We very quickly learn, though, thankfully that jack isn't dead dead which is good as i'm sure many people would have dipped if he was dead dead and we go back to teodama's uh to get information on how to rescue him from the locker and uh teodama's like oh you need a captain i got a captain for you and down coming the stairs is the newly resurrected hector barbosa and he's got his apple yay I like that a lot. An end of movie. So, yeah. Uh, overall, this movie is highly entertaining. But I think it lacks some of the substance of the first movie. It's still humorous, but the humor is slightly less clever, I think, in this one. It's more slapstick-esque. Like, it's still funny, though. Don't get me wrong. And as a sequel in the middle of a trilogy, it's great. It continues the story in an entertaining way. It keeps you intrigued so that you will come back for more, yet it also acts quite well as a standalone film in that it is entertaining and satisfying on its own if you ignore the obvious teaser for the next one at the end with Barbosa and stuff. And while it doesn't reach the highs of middle trilogy like Empire Strikes Back, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, or The Dark Knight, it is definitely better than some other middle trilogy installments like Attack of the Clones, and Last Jedi. And I think I do like it more than I remembered I did. Like, watching it again, I think I do enjoy it more than I would have said I did before watching it, which is nice. Yeah. So, uh, as I said at the beginning, Rotten Tomatoes gave it an average rating of 5.95 out of 10. And uh, I looked at IMDb for fun, and it has it rated 7.3 out of 10. And I'm closer to the IMDb rating. I think I'd give it a 7.5, approaching an 8 out of 10. Uh, the music is still great, the acting is still great, and the new additions fit into the world quite perfectly. And the world of pirates gets bigger, even though we technically don't really go anywhere super new. Uh, all in all, it's an enjoyable experience. 
and it's it's very good and I would recommend it if you liked the first one I'm not quite sure when I will get to At World's End but I'm looking forward to watching it especially after watching these first two again uh, the next two podcasts I know that I have coming are uh, I believe on Monday of this week so today is Wednesday for purposes of that uh, on Monday I'm planning to film a podcast with a friend of mine about the most influential like video games to us uh, that we're gonna we're gonna talk about that and then I have also uh, watched and taken notes for Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone which is gonna be the first of, of all the going through all the movies and and talking about them how I feel about them comparing them to the books etc so those will be the next two things the next two episodes of the podcast and then uh the, after that it should be at world's end to finish this off before i go on to chamber of secrets and anything else that might come to mind at that point but yeah uh i decided not to do news first this time i thought i would do news after which i think is interesting so today uh, the day I'm filming this is July 29th, 2020, which was the day George R. R. Martin like pretty much promised that Winds of Winter would be out, and he gave people permission to pretty much shit on him and stuff if it wasn't out. And guess what? It's not out. Which shocks no one. But yeah, so exactly what he said is if it's not out by this point... Oh, sorry about that. If it's not out by this point, he we he's giving us his formal written permission to imprison him in a small cabin until it is done. So we can imprison him in a small cabin until it is done, because it's not done. And uh, the Marvel's Avengers game, they've announced that uh, the first character that will be added after launch will be Hawkeye. You can play as Clint Barton. And he looks a lot like the ultimate version of Clint Barton. So he doesn't have the headpiece or anything like that. And he's got the shaved head and everything. Uh, they released like a minute-long teaser for it. And, uh, you know, when I, was, I was already interested in playing the game and, and excited. And I think this is even cooler because I love playing with bows and arrows in, in games. I think it's a lot of fun. But, yeah, I don't know why they wouldn't take advantage of having the rights to people's appearance to not make them look like all the actors but maybe that would cost too much who knows in other news I don't think there really is much other news um, the Emmys were announced and the Mandalorian was nominated for 15 Emmys which is pretty cool Yeah, I think that that's that's anything everything that I was aware of. Um, Spider-Man three was pushed back a couple of months. Most of the cast, as far as I'm aware, is still returning. They announced today that the, the guy who plays Flash is coming back to play Flash, which I don't I don't really care about. It. It's kind of irrelevant to me, but that is technically news. So you, you're welcome. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much all I got, I think. So this one's a little bit shorter than the other ones I've done. I think I didn't really have as much to say about the movie because uh, I didn't really get into talking about the plot that much. It was more just random chronological moments and things, which I think... Based on how I how, how I recorded uh, the Philosopher's Stone stuff, I'm not really going to do. I'm going to kind of do a hybrid of the two from here on in. Where I'm going to talk about what's going on in the plot at the point and then discuss things at that time, sort of. Use those as like talking points, but, but kind of go through the plot as well, which is something to add. Hopefully, I believe it, and I hope it works well. But yeah. Thank you for listening to another episode of Eric's Mediocre Adventures. Come back next time.